the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this first hour, it is the two-year anniversary of Billy Graham's passing. Plus, Natalie Brown is in the studio to talk about her new book, This is the Common Good. Happy Friday. I got Southern now, and I can't get out of it. You can't. Hold on. Oh, I didn't have... I haven't even done any of the specific It's yet. your birthday! Oh, <laughs> you, are, you are more excited than I thought you were going to be. I'm very excited for your birthday. <laughs> you love birthdays in general, don't I you? I do. Well, thanks, I do. man. Do you feel older? Do you feel wiser? How do we wake up mm, feeling today? I mean, you know, having kids, I feel like, has advanced That's how true. old I feel. Do they a, realize it's your birthday? Rate. Mm. Obviously not your youngest, I wouldn't think, but your oldest, maybe? Maybe. Does maybe. a two-year-old have any sense of space and time? We'll find out. To sell yeah, we will find out. Yeah. I'm going to hook up to a lie detector test. Do you, <laughs> know, it's your do you know it's my father's birthday? It's your birthday. I'm happy for you. It's yeah, your thanks, day. Thanks, man. Thanks, it's man. It's Friday. We love Fridays. It's your birthday. Man. What a day. What a day. It is so good to be 27. I am excited. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I don't look 27. Did I tell you about the lunch I had with a mentor of mine? I hadn't seen him in a couple years, and I uh, I walked into the restaurant. He was already there. The first thing he said to me he goes, "Wow, you've aged." And I go, "Thanks, man." And he goes, "No, no, I mean you look older." I'm like, "Yeah, I know what aged means." So I, said, <laughs> I, was like, I wasn't doubting yeah, what you meant by that right. statement. That's not what the wow was for. <laughs> That's really funny. Either way, there's no no place I'd rather be on my birthday than right here with you guys. I'm happy for that, even though it's not true. I'm it's, glad that you said it anyway. It's mostly true. Your words of affirmation, true. guys. So you'll take it anyway. <laughs> happy birthday. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, we are podcast. Wherever it is you get fine podcasts, we are also in the mix. Somehow we made the cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, on any of those platforms, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, that does all somehow magically help us out. And uh, would it be wrong to make it like a birthday ask? Absolutely not wrong at on all. On my birthday, I'm not asking in for fact, gifts. In fact, I think people would be insulting you on your birthday if they didn't See, do this. See, you have to just always take it one step too like, far. You know on That's Facebook when people far. ask you, like, for my birthday, like, like when I'm doing, like, give to this or whatever, you're just saying, for my birthday, this is what I would like. Yeah, but you had to go insulting. It's I do. I feel like it's it's an affront to you. <laughs> if if you feel so inclined on my birthday to subscribe, rate, review on the Facebook page or the podcast, to share it with a friend, to screenshot, to listen to it loudly in your car so the person next to you in the red light is forced to listen to us, any of those would just be the gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. I think that's well put. Well, thanks, man. Uh, I also did mention that it is the two-year anniversary of Billy Graham's passing, which does not seem right. Does it feel like two years to you? The funny thing is I remember 
talking about it, not on this show, obviously. And and then when you just said two years, I was like, I thought that was like a year ago. Yeah, so. but a year ago we had a show, and right. we, I, I don't know if we did the anniversary or not. We, I don't remember. We do have the technology to go back and look, but either way, it is the two year passing of uh, of a man who, in a lot of ways, I mean, you went to Wheaton, so I did. You, you the majority even, of my classes were in the Billy Graham Center, so. right? Would you say prior to Wheaton, by the way, that any of your like pastoral theological framing was shaped by Billy Graham? Yeah, I actually went to a Billy Graham. Crusade when I was in I did not know this. when I was in middle school maybe he was really? at the uh, uh, at the time I believe it's called the Brendan Byrne Arena then the Continental Airlines Arena New Jersey where like the Nets and the Devils played ironically and uh, <laughs> and my they, whole they church played ironically yeah, or no, they, okay <laughs> that Billy Graham was where the Devils were playing uh, and uh, I remember it being a big deal like it being. Uh, I you know I was very churched and my church took like a bus down there if I remember right. Hmm. And so I do remember all these people walking down and it just being an interesting like, well, what's going on here? Yeah, I totally remember. I I was aware of Billy Graham. And then coming to Wheaton, you hear a lot about Billy Graham, obviously, him being Wheaton, uh, being at Wheaton. So, well, I want to play one of my favorite clips from a sermon he gave years ago that I, I think in a pretty profound way still kind of holds up actually and a lot of times when you when you listen to preachers of decades past it's like oof that is dated or a boy yeah. I feel there's just something about the timeless nature of his preaching so on a, on on the anniversary of his passing I want to I want us to listen to that and then just sort of respond a little bit and that God loves everybody I don't care who you are he has the hairs of your head numbered he sees the sparrow fall he's interested in you and he loves you Now, there are several Greek words that are translated love. Eros means sensual love, sexual love. Phileo means friendship love, the love that I would have for a friend. But when the writers of the New Testament were trying to find a word that would describe the love of God, they invented a new word, agape, the divine love, a love that we cannot know outside of God. There is no love that you can think of in human relationships comparable to the love that God has for you and that God has for me. God loves you. So I read somewhere this last week that uh, Billy Graham had preached to an estimated 215 million people over the course of his life, more than any human at that point or ever, maybe. And uh, I'm curious, just as you're kind of hearing that, Again, I'm assuming you've heard at least something like that or that clip before. Uh, what strikes you about that? Like what maybe, even if you had to speculate, um, is part of the legacy of Billy Graham? Why, why did he so specifically resonate with so many people? Uh, I think that, uh, one, what a powerful voice, like a literal voice. Yeah, like right. Even you listen to him there from his younger years and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's power uh, in his, and eloquence in his words. But obviously, well beyond that. I think Billy Graham had a way, and you even heard it in that clip, of, like, really cutting to the chase, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, in that clip right there, it's it's just, you're loved, God loves you, he knows the hair on your heads. Like, he knew exactly what he was going for, and it mm-hmm. was like, sometimes uh, those of us who preach for a living can, you know, we could kind of lose our way a little bit, or just kind of go circle. And Billy Graham, I think it was like, I think he just had an ability uh, and obviously, uh, a lot of this has to do with the Holy Spirit, obviously. But but just as an orator, I think Billy Graham had a way of, like, 
really crafting a message. I think that was that was um, magnificent. Yeah, he also was. Um he had more of an activist in him than I realized. Like even some of the stuff I, I learned recently about his unwillingness. Like you have to remember, you know, that he began his ministry career. I mean, he died. He, I think he was ninety nine. Is that right? Something I think like that. So, so, so early in some of these tent revivals, there was still like pretty overt segregation in some of the states and cities that he would travel to, and there'd be like a rope that would divide blacks and whites from each other, and he would say, "Now take down this rope." And the uh, event organizers would say, well, no, no, we, we can't take down this rope. And he would say, uh, if you don't take down the rope, I'm not preaching. Like, just had that level of wherewithal. Gutsiness, yeah. Before a lot of other people, especially of his magnitude, which I it's the other thing that I found so fascinating, because you I've kind of uh, flirted with this topic before, where sometimes when Christian celebrities get so big, they, they're they more and more concerned with rocking the boat or not wanting to be controversial because they've you know, work to build all of this yeah. stuff. And he just seemed to have this clarity with which he preached and taught and not a perfect man yeah. by any stretch. I'm sure. No, of it. And I, but I love that he admitted his faults, even as right. he moved on, like near the end of his life or in his later years, he admitted like being away from home for too much. Uh-huh. He says, if I could do it over again, I'd spend more time praying and reading the word and less time traveling and preaching. You're like, wow. Yes. And then he talks about when he felt like, he got too cozy with politicians and they kind of used him when he was younger and he like really learned from that. I, so mm. I think even in his mistakes, the way he talked about him, I think, set a great example. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Well, it's, it's been two years. Yeah. It feels like less, but uh, at the very least, hopefully you take some time today just to reflect on the life and legacy of uh, a great man and Christian brother. Well, coming up next, a, a book that has a title that is after my own heart, 52 Cups of Coffee with Natalie Brown. We're going to have her in the studio talking about her new book, and that is coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the one and only Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, wherever it is you get your podcast. And uh, we often do say, I think my favorite part of this job is having in-studio guests. Absolutely. And we have an in-studio guest, a very special in-studio guest, Natalie Brown. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'd love for you just to let our audience know a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about, and then we're going to get into this wonderful book that you just wrote. Perfect. So lately I've been telling people that I am a writer by trade and a storyteller by choice. Love that. So for my profession, I write. I love words. I love helping people communicate their messages in a way that's clear and effective. Love it. But I also love stories. And so through this book and through my personal life, I like to use words as a way to inspire people towards hope, challenge stereotypes, challenge the norm, and just create greater conversations. You pretty much just described like our heartbeat and vision for this show, yeah. which part that. of what made me so excited to have you on the show, because it just feels like such a good fit. So you wrote this book called 52 Cups of Coffee. Yes. Just tell us first off why this book, why this title, just give us a big picture view of this particular work. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I did not intend to write 52 Cups of Coffee. Mm. <laughs> it started out as some emails that I wrote in college called Thursday Thoughts, and they were basically a way for me to pay attention to how God was showing up in my life, where I was finding hope in the world. Mm. And I decided one summer, you know what? I'm going to take these emails and I'm going to give them to my mom as a birthday gift. She was always super supportive of them. So I said, okay, I'm going to compile them all, do it at Office Depot. It's going to be something super (laughs) (laughs) And as I was working on the project, I really just felt God prompt my heart to make it more, to be Mm. more vulnerable, to spend more time editing the pieces. And so that's exactly what I began to do. And it took about a year and a half, and over the course of it, he just really turned it into this devotional. 
So mm. 52 Cups of Coffee, it's a weekly devotional, and it's created to invite people to have intentional encounters with God. That's so good. So as somebody, um, as a pastor who loves to work in coffee shops, I love to work at Starbucks or any of the others. Same uh, here. Talk about that theme of coffee that goes through it. It seems intentional. Why did you choose this concept of 52 Cups of Coffee? Definitely. So people, a lot of people have asked me, I hate coffee. Can I still read the book? <laughs> Am I allowed? Right. What That's if I'm great. a tea person? <laughs> and all are welcome here. <laughs> this is not a book about coffee. There are no coffee recipes in here. But for me, something that I noticed, similar to you, I love being in coffee shops. I love to work there. I love to meet people there. And over time, I began to notice that I had really sacred moments with people. Mm. I think there's something really special about being with someone and the only thing that's between you two is a cup of coffee or a muffin or whatever it is. Yeah. And I also noticed that in my spiritual life as well, when I'd show up to coffee shops and be there with God, we'd have just really special moments. And so that's kind of the essence behind this book. It's an invitation to have intentional time with God doing the thing that you love. Maybe that's drinking coffee like me. Maybe it's drinking tea. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's playing <laughs> golf or going for a walk. Whatever mm. that thing is for you, it's an invitation Let's spend that time with God. Let's yeah. invite him into that thing. That's great. All right. So chapter one is called Exhale. And yes. in that chapter, uh, you share a pretty embarrassing story. So it's a two-part question. One, what is that story? <laughs> and two, why did you choose to share that, especially so early in the book? Yeah, that's a really cool story for me. So my senior year of high school, I decided to go out for the track team. And our first track meet came out, and I was chosen to run the anchor in the 4x4 relay. And it was my first time doing it. I was super nervous, but super excited. And honestly, I just pushed way too hard. And during the <laughs> middle of running, I fell on my face, no way. completely disqualified my team. My mom and my coach <laughs> had to carry me off the oh, track. No, no. Honestly, like I still cringe sometimes when I think about it. <laughs> and for so long, this was just such an embarrassing moment in my life. It honestly brought me a lot of shame when I thought about it. But God really spoke to me after about it, how that race kind of showed sometimes I just push too much and I forget what we have to do to run well. There's a certain discipline that's applied to that. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. We can't just jump out the gate and think, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm going to do whatever you need me to do. There's a discipline that comes with that. And so as I was working on this book and it was getting towards the end, I was thinking about the first chapter and I was like, you know, I don't think it's there yet. I want to enhance more to this. And this track meet thing came to my mind and I felt God begin to speak to me again. Mm. And I remember taking out a piece of paper and just writing down as fast as I could. And then I put it in the book. And so it's really cool for me because something that used to bring me so much embarrassment yeah. is now a source of encouragement for me. And it's the first thing people read when they open this book. That's so yeah. good. I love on, that. On the back of your book, it starts with this line, life is loud. And I read that. I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and there's constant noise, constant busyness. And so with that, how does this book speak to that? It's got kind of a feel of contemplation and stuff. How, how does this book speak to the loudness and the busyness of life? Mm-hmm. Well, Part of that goes into being a weekly devotional rather than a daily devotional. And so with that invitation, going back to like, this is your chance to invite God into something that matters to you. There's this call towards intentionality. Hmm. And in that, we kind of get to find a quiet space with God and say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. So rather than something that you do every day, though I love a good daily devotional, this is something to carry with you throughout the week as you read the story and reflect It's this chance to say, God, will you keep speaking to me through this one specific experience, through Mm. this one story? And in that, I think kind of 
we put the noise at bay a little bit and we yeah. say, God, keep, keep showing me more. Keep letting me find out more about who you are and what you're teaching me in this season. That's really good. Okay. So it becomes pretty clear that you've, you've been all over the world. Yeah. And anytime that I meet with people who have traveled a lot, they, they always have a very visceral sense of like what that brings to them and their writing. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to a little bit about how you believe your travels have impacted the way you write and the way that translates to just sort of your average reader? Definitely. I've been very blessed from the time I was young to be able to experience different cultures, experience Mm -hmm. different countries. And I think the biggest thing for me is that that has given me a greater sense of how big God is. I think sometimes it's so easy to put God in a box based off of our experiences, our rituals, our church practices. But when I go to other places in the world, sometimes where Christianity is not the norm and you can actually be in trouble for being a Christian, it's cool to see how sacred their religion is to them. But when I go to other places and the culture is different from my own, I get to remember, whoa, God, you are the same God that I serve, Mm -hmm. but there are so many different ways to serve you. And another thing for me is it reminds me how big the church is. Mm. So I was privileged to spend six months in South Africa when I was in college. And finding a church there was such a sacred experience for me because though I was in a completely different country on the other side of the world, there were so many churches there. Mm. And just entering into the church, I felt this exhale almost like, wow, these are my people. Even though I didn't Mm -hmm. know their names, I didn't know who they were. I knew, Hey, we are in this together. We serve the same God. And because of that, we already have common ground. That's awesome. Oh, that's really good. I'm curious about travel. What is it about travel? Do you think that, that fills your soul? Like you've clearly in your bio, it says South Africa, China, Hong Kong, Israel, Jamaica, among others, clearly travels a huge deal for you. Maybe Mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming you're still to get to travel. Uh, Why do you love to travel so much? I think this is going to sound a little bit weird, but there's something (laughs) about the disruption that I think is really good for me. So I'm someone that (laughs) loves routines. I thrive off of routines. I don't like change. But when I'm given the opportunity to go to a new country, go to a new place, there's a sense of discomfort that I feel and Mm. having to kind of set aside my routines and find something new. But every time I'm really forced to find God in the midst of that. So even like when I studied abroad, I said goodbye to my family, my friends, my school, everything that was comfortable. And the only person that I could really run to was Jesus. Mm. And so even though it's exciting and it feels glamorous to get to go to other places, sometimes in the tension of being in unfamiliar settings, I find that I really have sacred moments with God. I love that. Was that another theme kind of woven throughout the whole book is this theme of hope, Mm -hmm. which now maybe more than ever is like such a necessary theme. Can you talk to us a little more about that? Yeah, I think that that's something the Lord has really been speaking to me about lately. I've kind of had this message that this world is far too desperate for people who have found a greater hope to remain silent. Mm. And I think that plays a big role in this book. Every time I wrote a chapter, I wanted it to come back to the idea that God is faithful. And I think we're living in a day and time where people are looking for people or someone to be faithful. Mm. They're looking for something that's bigger than themselves. And what we get throughout the Bible is that God keeps showing us He is good and he is faithful. He's good and he is faithful. And when I take the time to pay attention to that in my own life and invite other people to do the same, I think we're invited to find a greater sense of hope in our day-to-day lives. And Natalie Brown taking us to church today. (laughs) My goodness. Would you stick around for one more segment? Hey, I'd love to. If you're just joining us, that's Natalie Brown, author of the new book, 52 Cups of Coffee. You can learn more, and I highly recommend you do, at nataliebrown.com. We're going to continue to talk to her about her book, her experience, and all the things that kind of led to the formation of this book in the first place. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the great, the mysterious, the magnanimous. None of that, but I like this. I like where this is going. <laughs> Why'd you stop me? Such a words of affirmation guy. I know, this is good. Those weren't necessarily affirmations. Anyway, welcome back. And uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, you know, the, the, what is our Facebook? <laughs> the Common Good Radio. <laughs> I am falling Show. apart of the seams. Yes. Also, 1160hope.com. But if you're just joining us, we have the wonderful Natalie Brown in the studio. She just wrote 52 cups of coffee plus... Because I'm not that smart, I got the website wrong. So here's the actual <laughs> website. It's natalieabrown.com, and that's Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E. Is there other ways to even spell Natalie? Why am I even spelling this for people? Our books would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You're like, Megan? You're like, I'll take it. Right. <laughs> as long as my latte is not even close. I just need caffeine, yep. even if it's somebody else's. Exactly. That's natalieabrown.com. Again, she just wrote this book, 52 Cups of Coffee, which as a, you know, a real caffeine addict, I'm already in. And Brian mentioned this earlier. You know, we've we've never written books before. Yep. And uh, a question that I'm always curious about is, do you have a favorite chapter? Like the whole thing I know is sort of like your baby, right? But it is, is there yeah. a favorite chapter and why? You know, at the moment, I'm going to say that chapter three is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And that chapter is called Gifts of Desperation. And I like this chapter because when you hear the title, it's kind of like, what? Does that even make sense? Like, how can desperation be a gift? Mm. But this chapter really talks about the bleeding woman in scripture and how she got to this place where she had expended all of her resources. Mm. She did everything that she could and nothing worked. And from that desperation, she was willing to do what seemed dangerous, what was not in her best interest from the outside to get into the presence of Jesus. And that's where her miracle happened. That's where her transformation occurred. That's awesome. And so for me, I began to realize sometimes in our desperation, that gets us to do the one thing we need to do to get into the presence of Jesus. Mm. And that's where a transformation can happen. That's so good. So the answer to this is probably everybody, but is there a specific <laughs> person or, a, or a, someone in a specific uh, stage of life or something they're going through that you really hope picks up this book? Who are you thinking of when you wrote this book? Yeah, for me, the person that I want to pick up this book is someone that wants to add a little bit of pizzazz to their relationship with God. Well, mm-hmm. So like any relationship, you know, there are certain things that you have to do. You need to stay in communication. You need to be open and you need to be honest. But sometimes even re- in relationship with the people we love most, we kind of lose the spark. We mm-hmm. kind of lose the fun that comes with it. And so if you're in that place with God, I want you to know, first of all, that's okay. He yeah, still I mean, loves you. He still wants to be in relationship with you. And this, I hope that this book can be a resource for you to be like, hey, Lord, do you want to go out? Do you want to go do something new? Let's spend some time together talking mm. about stories, talking about your word. Okay, so this is your first book, it right? Is. And I anticipate, even just listening to you speak, you're so well-read, so articulate. Like, I, I hope you keep writing for a long time. But I'm, I'm curious, even just from your own perspective, where do you hope that God takes this book specifically? And where do you see your writing future going? Mm, that's a great question. Mm. With this book, I hope that God continues to take it to people who are searching, mm. people that are longing for something deeper with him. Um, and then kind of a subset of that is I hope that God continues to use this book in the lives of young women. Mm. That's a place where my heart just really aches. And so I hope that young women continue to pick up this book and read it and invite God into their relationship um, with others, builds community, all of that good stuff. 
In the future, I hope that he just keeps using my writing to encourage other people, both inside and outside of the church. That's so yeah. good. So before you mentioned this uh, this email chain, I think it was, you called it uh, Thursday Thoughts, and you said you did that in college? Yes. So this is really impressive, because Ian, I don't know what you were like in college, but I wasn't Not a doing good anything no, productive <laughs> in college. I wasn't writing. I wasn't doing that. I would love to hear more story about that. What made you want to start something like that? And then it sounds like your mom played an influence. Tell me more about mm-hmm. this uh, Thursday thoughts idea and, and what it did in your life. Yeah, I love this story because Thursday thoughts actually kind of originated from a darker place in my life. Oh, mm. And so I was a junior in college and I was really going through a season of just feeling really down and discouraged a lot of the time. And I was starting to get concerned. So I called my mom one day and I was just like, Mom, I'm in this place where I'm feeling really down. Like, I don't know what to do. And she mentioned a verse that my dad had been going through our family with, which is found in Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And she said, I think you need to talk to God. Tell him how you're feeling and ask him to reveal your purpose and renew your vision. So I went through this period of time where I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you an hour every day. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for you to reveal my purpose. And it's kind of funny. I say I was hoping for like a Moses moment. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted like a... This is exactly what I'm calling you to do. Go do it. Come down from on high. (laughs) Exactly. Where's my burning bush, Lord? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But I didn't get that. Instead, Hmm. what I got is the Lord began to prompt my heart towards things that really made me passionate. One of those things was writing. Another one of those things was women's ministry. Hmm. So I began to pray, Lord, how can I live into those things now? And a few days later, my friend Caitlin came to me and she just said, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And there's an author I really like named Hannah Bruncher that sends out emails every Monday. Hmm. She said, you know what? You're in this place where you're feeling really discouraged. Why don't you use writing as a form of hope? She's like, why don't you send out an email once a week like Hannah? So Thursday thoughts kind of came from that Hmm. and then eventually became the basis of this book. And I still send out Thursday thoughts today. Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. If you go to my website, you can find a little plug that says need some encouragement if you enter your email which just as a reminder that's natalie a brown yep not natalie brown which i'm sure is a lovely lady but i'm sure she is as well we're not talking to her right now we're talking to natalie a brown yeah i'm sure she's a lovely lady. that's good okay so up until this point uh you've talked a lot about like the the impact the book has had on other people and what you hope it will have and anyone that i've ever talked to that's written a book they almost always talk about it like this journey, but it also, it sounds grueling. Like it sounds like there's some real highs and some real, real lows. Like, can you talk a little bit about how writing this book has impacted you personally? Mm, Great question. For me, I think the biggest thing that this did book did for me, it felt almost like working out every single Mm -hmm. day and you're kind of building these muscles where at first it's really painful, but the more you do it, the stronger you get. And so for me, I'm someone, I love the moments of inspiration. Like when I first had the idea to really do this book, it was like, yes, this would be awesome. (laughs) But then with time, as that kind of began to just fade away, it was like, oh man, I have to keep showing up. I have to keep waiting for the words to come. But in the process, I think I really developed this muscle of patience that Mm. obviously I still have to work on that, but it was something I really needed a lot of before just the ability to wait on God and say, you know what, Lord, I feel you calling me to something. So I'm mm. going to keep showing up even when it takes longer than I expect. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing that this book did for me. That's great. So this might be a completely unfair question because you just wrote this book, but as a writer, <laughs> is there, is there something else percolating in you? Or are you just waiting on God to see what that is? What, what might be out there in the future? What's coming? Definitely. In terms of writing, I have another book that I'd like to write. It's still in the development stages, but I want to take some time to write a book about God's grace and mm. how that grace shows up to us in every moment. And something I've been realizing in my own life is because God has extended us his grace 
we have this gift to be able to face really broken situations and say, hey, what's beautiful in this? And how can we respond to the brokenness that we're seeing? And I think that we need to do more of that. We need to look at what's beautiful and what's broken. Yeah. So I'd love to write a book that kind of talks about some of my life experiences and goes through that. Um, and I'm also developing a curriculum right now for young women that's meant to empower them to identify their God-given calling and to respond to it. Because I feel like mm. God kind of took me on this journey with writing and with women's ministry, I realized, you know what? God has a specific calling on each of our lives. Yeah. It kind of goes back to Esther 4.14. Who knows but that you've been called for such a time as this. I want to help encourage women who are in high school and college to begin to respond to that today. It's not something you have to do when you're 52 or later on <laughs> in your life. It's something that God can speak to you about now. That's so good. I'm just curious. Both of the things you just mentioned are writing specific are you interested in like speaking or, or painting or painting. juggling or yeah, what are you like are other things outside of writing that you're like really interested to kind of sink your teeth into too? Yes. So my background is in communication. So uh, I do like to speak. Clearly. You're so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's definitely something that God is continuously calling me into and something that I, yeah, I'm just still getting my feet in the water in, but I love to be able to just talk and have engaging conversations yeah. with people about who God is and what he's doing in our everyday lives. That's so good. But not right. juggling. But not, <laughs> not ju- juggling. I can juggle if you're looking for, you know. Ian if you guys want to teach me, you know, I'd be open to uh, that. I know about as much as you do about <laughs> juggling right now. So remind us as we start to wrap up here, we can get the book at natalieabrown.com. Also, yes. Amazon, all sorts of other places, mm-hmm. wherever we can find books. Is that where we go? Yep. Yeah. Right, it's called 52 Cups of Coffee. 52 Cups of Coffee. Natalie Brown, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Please come back again sometime. Yes, thank do it. you. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Again, the book is 52 Cups of Coffee. Go to NatalieABrown.com, not only to learn more, but to sign up for the mailing list if you'd like and mm-hmm. to learn about other opportunities to engage with Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I doing you're good you're more of a musician than i am oh i feel really good about this you're on it you're on it my arm's getting tired i can't <laughs> how do people do that for a whole song i don't know Woo. i don't know i've been googling while in our break uh rom-coms i got my second site of 50 best rom-coms of all time second place where the princess bride was on there what yes i'm okay. gonna do some more research tonight I kind of let's I, put that on Facebook as a question. I, I want I want to know if people, yeah, do they consider Princess Bride a rom com or not? Yeah, I'd like to know that. Gosh, this is going to get heated. This is going to get heated. I don't think it is, but everywhere I'm looking about favorite rom coms of all time, Princess Bride is not only there but prominently displayed. Ryan, we do not battle against flesh and blood. <laughs> <laughs> Powers of principalities. I don't even know. Rats of unusual size. I don't think they exist. That was uh, good. All right. So here's a story. It's not even a story, but it's something. The reason we're talking about it is because it's it's like in the forefront. And without Every naming day. any specific incidents or conversations or tweets, um, I think you'll understand why we want to talk about this. Uh, the headline is how to avoid anger overload in the digital age. Which is a great yeah. uh, hook, right? Because who hasn't on both sides of the aisle? By the way, we are we are hopefully being uh, level-handed at least in this discussion. That man, it seems like Christian, non-Christian, right, left, like everyone. The dials are all kind of turned up to eleven right now, which is kind of why we're doing this series at our church. The world's gone mm-hmm. mad because, like, everyone has told me this is how I feel right now. Yeah. 
people on all sides of every discussion. We, we feel the heat turn it up. So this is the Gospel Coalition, and uh, there's some really good insight, but also uh, we'll get to some practical advice on how to actually manage some of these things. Yeah. How can we actually live with a Christ-like posture in a, an age and era where anger seems to not only be okay, but mostly celebrated most of the time. So yeah. why don't you get us into it? It's just wild, man. The first line, it gets at what you, it puts numbers to what you were just talking about. It says a recent poll, and this article came out on July 15th. Uh, it says a recent poll found that 84% of Americans say they are angrier today compared with a generation ago. 84% of us say that we're angrier today. And why is that? Why would we be angrier today? Another poll found Americans to be angrier in 2018 than at any other point in the last decade. Uh, And it says much of the anger is warranted when we come across stories of suffering children at detention centers or legislatures cheering late term abortions. We should be angry when we read a story about sexual abuse or see someone making dehumanizing or racist comments on Twitter. Our blood should boil. Uh, But then it gets into like. And we talked about this, whether it be Stetzer's book, Christians in an Age of Outrage. Right. I think yesterday we were discussing an article that that used the term outrage porn, uh-huh. like that, yeah. that there was just outrage over outrage. And so this author, Brett McCracken, is trying to ask how to avoid anger overload in the digital age. So he's obviously putting a lot of our anger because of our connectedness and because of the ability for people to share all sorts of opinions and because of our ability to know all the bad things in this world saying that it's in this digital age, the propensity to anger is that much uh, greater. It says the paradox is characteristic of our times that to the abstract conquest of space by man corresponds the limitation of place for men. It's basically saying that that we live in a time where where it's just so much easier to get angry. Like you ever, we said that I keep saying things I've already said, but did you say this yesterday that, uh, we have people in our lives who like they go away for vacation and they always are like, oh, it was so good to be disconnected. But then they get reconnected right when they come back. Right. Uh, and so like an uh, addict, by the way. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And so social media really plays into this. He says we can easily spend hours of a day attending to headlines about things that will never affect us and which we can never alter debate about things we know little about and problems we cannot solve. That leads to angst. That leads to anger. And so. Uh, I do feel like you and I keep going back to this concept. And sometimes I'm like, are we going to do another story about anger and digital age and this, that? But in reality, it's super important because all the polls are showing that non-Christians and Christians, our culture in general, is just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And that's just not healthy nor productive. Yeah, we're going to get to it in a little bit. The uh, three suggestions he gives for how to engage Mm -hmm. uh, in this digital age. But he says uh, one problem the digital age poses for the local church is that it draws the attention of individual Christians constantly outward, but in often unproductive and relentlessly fragmented ways. People in our churches spend their mental energy every week, keeping tabs on the latest Twitter outrage or distant calamity with little, little energy left to pour into the lives and issues right in front of them. To be sure awareness of the broader world can be a great thing in the Christian life, a motivator for global missions, charitable giving, broadened perspectives and a healthy sense of connectedness to the global body of Christ. But without careful, uh, carefully regulating our exposure to media, we can easily attend to the quote out there more than the quote right here, creating an imbalance that leads to chronic stress, angst and sometimes a dangerous numbness, which Mm. I want to be careful not to not to take that fully, because 
I do think the church has had a history sometimes with some hyper obsessive in here focus mm-hmm. and a real lack of out there focus. So it feels a little bit like the pendulum is swinging again. And, you know, and, and kind of to what he just said there, sometimes we should feel stress and angst yeah. around the broader issues. So I don't think stress and angst is always a bad thing. And sometimes it's a position of privilege to say, I don't want to deal with that because that's causing me stress. You're like, yeah. nope, you need to be mindful of these things. But um, he later talks about uh, amusing ourselves to death. Have you ever read that book? No. It's really good. It's by uh, Neil Postman. He talks about how our access to information and news from all over the world gives us something to talk about, but cannot lead to any meaningful action. This mm. is the legacy of the telegraph, he says, by generating an abundance of irrelevant information, it dramatically altered what may be called the information action ratio. Hmm. And I love that idea of the information ac- um, information action ratio because I think part of the case he's making is it's way out of whack. Absolutely. And so he gives us three suggestions of how he writes, how might prudent Christians navigate this world of anger overlord, overlo- overlord, <laughs> anger overlord, Your anger overlord is Bow here before the overlord. <laughs> and the first one overload is the word. The first one is this. Try to prioritize actionable information. Audit your information environment. How much of it can actually enhance your local, tangible, actionable life? Hmm. Christians especially should note whether they are spending more time investing in remote digital controversies that in concrete context of their neighborhood and the flesh and blood saints in their church. Instead of passively consuming indiscriminate information that rushes to you via social media and cable news, consider being more proactive and selective. Instead of default on for these buzzing purveyors of anger-inducing grievances, try default off it's really interesting it's again goes back to what can actually you make a difference in what is actually making a difference in your world instead of just treating everything the same yeah and the second one is the irony of ironies of two guys who are both pastors and radio hosts Mm -hmm. Um, second consider the value of silence and unmediated space fight the temptation to fill every moment of your life with media it may be a revolutionary thought today but you can actually stand in line at starbucks without pulling out your phone and scanning social media you can commute to work Without listening to talk radio. Uh, Fake news. (laughs) Fake news. You can go for a jog without listening to a podcast. You can spend your breaks, transitions, and other in-between times in silence, alone with your thoughts. Even better, in prayer, reflection, awe, and gratitude. You don't have to fill every spare moment with something informative or useful. You can just be still and silent. Mm. If we just removed all the time we spend online in these in-between moments of life, we'd instantly have much less to trigger our stress and anger. That's good. Third and lastly, he writes, most importantly, try to cultivate a Christian spirit of, quote, holy calm in a world of ever-present anger. That's good. The real strength of the good soldier of Jesus Christ, Jonathan Edwards wrote nearly 300 years ago, is simply the steadfast maintenance of holy calmness sustained amidst all the storms, injuries, wrong behavior, and unexpected acts and events in this evil and unreasonable world. The scripture seems to intimate that true fortitude consists chiefly of this. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. Proverbs 1632 says in a world that constantly dares us to rant and rave about all manner of things. Christ followers should instead keep calm and carry on staying diligent in discipleship, committed to community, faithful in worship and focused in mission. I really love that man. A holy calm in the midst of all the craziness around us. I would add an asterisk. Go for it. Sometimes the Christ follower needs to be riled up. And I think he says that. I think he does too. But like when he talks about uh, staying diligent, the Christ followers should instead keep calm and carry on. Uh, I think sometimes, though, 
our blood does need to boil. Yep. Sometimes we need to speak truth to power. Sometimes we need to say enough is enough. And I think that's that in lies the balance, right? Half the, half our team is saying, can't everyone just calm down? The other half is saying we've been calm too long exactly. and things have gotten on a hand. And I think uh, I like this idea of holy calm, maybe coupled with righteous anger. Maybe yeah. it's a maybe it's a both and and uh, learning to better balance those two maybe is part of our goal. Well, speaking of holy calm, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity. I know that you're shocked that there's actual insanity on the interwebs, but we're going to close the show the way that we always do, reading stories we've never read before with sound effects we've never heard. And uh, Brian and I are going to giggle right along with you here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You, of course, can find us anywhere you like. Brian will probably be at Panera. I'll be changing <laughs> diapers. Were you there yes. today? Of course you were. Yes. Do you get some sort of sponsorship? You should get your face on the wall or something. I would, If they would just pay me in chili, I would they, be good. God, you are so easy. <laughs> grilled cheese and chili. Can I go for that? Can I add a grilled cheese Oh, you're adding that? a grilled cheese. Yes. Okay. Do they have a grilled cheese at Panera? Oh, my gosh. They do, yes. <laughs> And you dip that thing in there, chili man. Woo! I don't think I've ever seen a grown man so excited about grilled cheese in my life. Uh, I am a child in I've some been, ways. No, no, no. I like a good grilled cheese, too. And my youngest daughter has started making, like, she's so proud of herself. She's 10, and she can really make a good grilled cheese. Like, really? the perfect brown, the right this. So every now and then I'm like, Emily, want to make me a grilled cheese? <laughs> does does like, she? Yes. Because oh, she, like, man. she knows she's good at it. Like, oh, oh yeah, I'll make that. I can't so wait I for this. Say, I shouldn't say all the time she makes it. So right, right, right. Like, uh, no. But. Okay, can I ask if she use mayo instead of butter? That a thing? Oh, my goodness, is it a thing? Brian Oh, no, no, we are a butter family, but I, I'll try the mayo. Is it? It's incredible. 
I'm telling wow. you. I'm no, telling this you. is this is new information to me. <laughs> miracle Whip or mayonnaise or no, both? no, no, no. It's got to be real mayo. Real mayo. Don't don't bring that Miracle Whip into this. I, I'm going to try Alexa and ask her to Perfect. talk to give us our show while I make <laughs> a mayonnaise uh, grilled cheese. That's perfect. Well, we burned all the time we have for this segment. So <laughs> no pun intended. Coming up next. Hey, uh, did I ever tell you about my grilled cheese party? We used to do no, grilled, but I want to hear this. Party. All right, we'll talk about that later. No, we'll no, right now. Come on, now let's do this. It's a really short. Uh, the idea is you get a bunch of griddles, and then everyone has to bring a, a, a type of bread, a type of cheese, and a unique topping, and then everyone swaps it. So you get like eight people together, and you're just making grilled cheeses, and you're like sharing different recipes, and you're. It's fabulous. It's so much fun. It's like a really great community building, but it's easy to pull off. I would like to be a part of that. You can go to grilledcheeseparty.com. <laughs> I own that domain. No. Yep. I just laugh like that. Was, all right. Keep yep. going. Grilledcheeseparty.com. Yep. Uh, all right. So here's the article out of Christianity Today. It says, love your neighbor in the new year. Answer their emails and texts. So I'm just going to read the first couple of paragraphs because yep. I actually, I really like this idea, but I'm also kind of convicted by this idea. It says, uh, when a technological wave crests, I'm not usually writing it. I'm in favor of reading, not binge watching, dinner parties, not Google Hangouts. I was late to own a smartphone and join Facebook, and I still don't use Instagram. Embarrassingly, I have to call my teenagers to turn on the TV. Since I'm a Luddite, you might expect me to pen a familiar essay arguing for less technology use rather than more, but this is not that piece. Although a lot of people are resolving rightly to curb their digital addictions in this new year, many of us might need an urging in the other direction. The most virtuous among us might not be those who conspicuously publicize their return to various forms of analog life. Instead, those most like Jesus might be the ones who decide to become more digitally available, not less. Hmm, you might be thinking... Go on. Few of us want to hear the call to be uh, to more digital dirty work, but nonetheless, answering texts, emails, and direct contact messages from Slack and other apps is one of the ways that we follow the biblical commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. These invasive messages are grueling to deal with, and though I might prefer uh, to return to a world where the phone actually rang, this is not the world I inhabit. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, the article actually makes, I think, a really mm-hmm. beautiful case for how important some of this sort of like digital etiquette actually is, but I'm just curious to know uh, how you feel about it. I feel convicted. Do you really? Yeah, no, this is good because we've all felt that guilt where somebody texted you and you're like, I don't have an answer for that now. I don't want to answer. And it just kind of sits there or worse than that is email. Like right. uh, I just today I answered an email uh, that somebody had sent me uh, probably between Christmas and New Year's and it wasn't anything urgent, but it's been staring at me in my inbox and it's just like. You know, this person's probably waiting. Like, it doesn't take much time to be like, hey, just, uh, I'll give me some time and I'll get back to you on that. Uh, so I think there's something uh, here that uh, that answering your emails, answering uh-huh. your texts, uh, showing people that sort of um, – uh, showing them that respect. Like, that's what respect looks like in the digital age. Right. Uh, acknowledging them that they're important enough for you to acknowledge, uh, whether it be the email or the text. I think she gives a very convicting uh, argument here, one that, like I said, convicts me. Well, let me share some of that argument because some of you listening still might not be convinced. Uh, she says, answering every single email isn't the answer, of course, especially in a professional context. So how do we discern the difference between mindless interruptions that serve as distractions and meaningful ones that serve as invitations. How do we balance the personal need for silence with the sometimes unwelcome needs of others? The life of Christ gives us a model. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus was not 
always reachable when people needed him. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. He withdrew for prayer, and his frantic disciples often came looking for him, chiding him for his retreat. His example teaches us that a uh, constantly interruptible life is not the most purposeful one. Still, the Jesus of the Gospels not only withdrew to lonely mountaintops for prayer, he also allowed himself to be hassled by helpless crowds who always seemed to arrive at the most inconvenient times, mm-hmm. on the way to other urgent appointments, on the Sabbath day of rest, or in the middle of meals and naps. For as many desperate mornings as Jesus spent in prayer, he spent as many harried afternoons answering the clamoring demands of the blind, the lame, and the demon-possessed. His proverbial phone, in other words, was sometimes set to do not disturb, and sometimes it constantly buzzed. What do you think of that? <laughs> it's true. It's good. It is. Uh, th- to think that Jesus lived a life where he had his moments of solitude, he guarded those, right? He went off and prayed, went off on his own, which is always mind-blowing, because if anybody should have lived a hurried life, it's Jesus. Yeah, right. But then also that Jesus was never the type of person, at, at least as we read in the Gospels, who was like, no, I, I must get there, so get away from me, blind man. Get away from me, leper. Get away from me, whatever. I'm right. too important for you. Right. Is really convicting. Because a lot of times I will take the approach, never, never intentionally, but I'm better than you. I don't have time for you. But but our our uh, posture can kind of give that sometimes. I'm yeah. not uh, your email's not worth my time. Your text, right. your phone call, whatever else it might be. Uh, and so I think the way she grounds this in the way Jesus interacted with people is really powerful. I totally agree. So the, the author of this article, I don't think we mentioned her name yet, Jen Pollock-Michael, she goes on and says, uh, one critical step is understanding and resisting the boundless responsibilities represented by our digital lives. As Lawrence Scott helpfully illuminates in The Four-Dimensional Human, the Internet has redefined embodiment and presence. That is so well said. Mm-hmm. We have an, uh, an everywhereness to us, Scott writes. It's astonishing to think how the limits and coherence of our bodies have been so radically redefined. In other words, access to the Internet blurs how we understand something as, element, uh, something as elemental as presence. When I'm sitting in my living room ignoring my children scrolling through Facebook or Twitter, where exactly is here? I think that is... Th- such an important question that I wish we had more time to talk about. That is well put. The, the idea of presence, because you and I will talk about presence a lot, and we've even referenced uh, Faithful Presence, and we've referenced some of the work of David Fitch, and I think, yeah, you and I are both for that, obviously, but recognizing some of how those lines have been blurred in just our day-to-day engagement, because you and I, I imagine, I don't want to throw you under the bus, mm-hmm. we've both been guilty of being at home with our families around us, mindlessly scrolling on a smartphone. Yes. Right? Guilty yesterday. Right. <laughs> right. I'm sure I was too, and I don't. I don't want to be, but I think it isn't just about like what she's proposing. It's not just saying, and that maybe is right for somebody else. Like, all right, I'm I'm cutting all of this out of my life, mm-hmm. but having a better, more helpful, more holistic dialogue about what these digital devices are actually doing to our sense of self and our sense of presence, and what our responsibility then is to the people that are at least in some ways attempting to engage with us. Right. And where do we draw that line? Yeah, it's it's hard because uh, you don't want to be accessible to everybody, but. At all times. And she's not saying that. But even that question of presence, she says the question of presence is essential for understanding personal agency and agency is essential for understanding responsibility. Perhaps Mm. the most critical question we ask in our digital age is for whom can I really be responsible? And to even to talk about the ethics of digital engagement. I don't ever like that's a that's an interesting way to even phrase it and even think about it. but in some ways, it's how did I interact with people face to face or with a phone call? And now taking that to the digital age, I think it's something we all need to wrestle with because yep. t- texts are easy to ignore, email, email, Facebook message, whatever. 
And we've got to figure out how to do that well. well. Let me just read how she concludes it because I think it, it wraps this up perfectly. She says, how we use our digital technologies is arguably one of the most important spiritual questions facing us today. As followers of the incarnate God, we want to favor an embodied life over a virtual one. We want to engage practices that cultivate patience when technology teaches us to crave speed. We want to resist, what is that word? Acedia? Yeah. The ancient word for spiritual sloth and reject the moral listlessness induced by the digital age. We want Mm. to be people of the here, not people of the everywhere and anywhere. And sometimes that can mean more digital connection, not less. I am so challenged by this. I have so many other questions. John, can we get her on the show? Let's 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 work on that because I would love to pick her brain a little more. There's a lot here. You got to read this article. people. It's really, really really good. good. It's on our Facebook page. Uh, The Common Good Radio Show. We'd love to know what you think. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, and I am joined again with Ian Simpkins. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Ian, my friend, this is a big day today. Is, is it, though? It is, and I'm going to make sure it's a big day today. I mean, we don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to go there right oh, now. Oh, we're going there, oh, my boy. friend. Oh, boy. Those of you who might be wondering, today is my co-host's 36th birthday. Happy birthday, friend. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Oh, goodness. Oh! <laughs> A little surprise from our producer. There you go. So happy birthday. Do you feel older? Do you, what are you feeling like today? I feel like I'm 96. Is what I, <laughs> that's what sleeplessness with a, uh, with a newborn will do to you. Ian is hating life right now because <laughs> I am just telling everybody that it's his birthday. Oh, my gosh. You knew we were going to do this to you today. You had to know. I kind of was hoping you'd forget or well, something. You're the one who told us it was your birthday. Uh, so. That's my mistake. Here's sure. what I want to do today, people. I want you to call. I, I just want to take calls today. People wishing Ian a happy birthday. So let uh. me give you the number. 312-660-2594. That's 312 660 Two five nine four. In fact, I want people who don't even know Ian oh, to call. Like you'd been, you've never met him before in your life. I want you to call. I'm starting to feel desperate, man. <laughs> no, I, I'm wanting this to happen. And here's the good news: we've got our first caller, and oh, I'm boy. excited for this one. So go ahead. Happy birthday, <laughs> Mr. President. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Yeah. We love you, Ian. Oh, I'd know that. I'd know those voices anywhere. <laughs> I love you, Mom and Pops. <laughs> love you, too. Oh, Enjoy your day, sweetie. All right, bye-bye. I love bye. you. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I'm ready to – we could turn the show off now. That was as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. So, again, if you want to call and wish Ian, Ian a happy birthday – uh, 312-660-2594. That was a bold move to go the uh, Marilyn Monroe route. There, though. <laughs> <laughs> your mom and dad. It's my dad doing the Monroe. I-, I hope that I make a little more sense now in light of what just I transpired just here. I say that. Like, I've never met your parents, but I get you more now. Oh, man, that made me I smile get, so big. I get, I get you more. So Facebook, you could do the Common Good Radio Show. And again, you could call at 312-660-25. Nine, four. We're going to make a hard right turn here. You ready? This oh, is, there is no goodness. good segue here. I uh, <laughs> want to talk a little bit about, if you've been watching news today, you've seen Covington Catholic High School. You remember that story? I do remember, remember that story, the Covington yes. Catholic School where the boys 
it was uh, it was that story where um, the boys it looked like they were just taunting uh, this poor old Native American guy, uh, and the stories ran it. Uh, just they they just crucified these high school kids, right? right? And I don't think these high school kids were in the right at all. I think everybody in this story was in the wrong, mm. uh, but they went all in on them. Uh, and then, uh, you know, kind of the real story started to come out. Uh, and now that kid who you always see kind of with that smile, Nicholas Sandman, yeah. uh, is suing the Washington Post. You ready for this number? Yeah. For $250 million wow. in a defamation lawsuit claiming the newspaper falsely accused him of racist acts and instigating a confrontation with a Native American activist in January at the Lincoln Memorial. What are your thoughts about that? Well, my uh, my good friend, Dr. John Armstrong, actually uh, posted this a couple of days ago. And the his his audience, his uh, community offers such helpful feedback because they're right and left, old and young, progressive, conservative. I'm always amazed at just the, the feedback that he gets from people. Um, and I'm reading through it now and I'm realizing it's actually m- much more complicated than I would have. Absolutely. Get, like I read it at first and think, all right, come on, man, like. The story, as we talked about, certainly had all sorts of twists and turns. And the angle that we kind of took was how quickly we jumped to the conclusion that confirms the conclusion I already had. Yes. And the dangers of doing that, particularly in a public sphere. Like, yeah. see, I knew it. And then, the, you know, a longer video came out. And then the other side said, see, we knew it. Yes. And then more video came out. And I thought, oh, OK, time out. Everybody, can we please let's just find some due diligence here in the midst of that. Um, but I do I, I, on one hand, I think yeah, these these uh, these large organizations need to be held accountable for sure. Like yes. there's there's a vast amount of irresponsibility, I think, in the people that are supposed to be the gatekeepers of like fact and reporting. Yes, and this kid is a high schooler. However, the the other part of me, the maybe more rational part of me, thinks yep. that's an enormous number. <laughs> that's yes. right. That's maybe, yes. and I don't, I don't know if like I doubt they expect to get it. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe you shoot for the moon. And then you land somewhere, you know, that's maybe more appropriate. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on this one for sure. Yeah, I'm to the point with this story where it feels like everybody involved was in the wrong. Yeah, right. And that you probably feel like your confirmation bias, as you like to say, makes you feel like who's more wrong. Uh, but I just kind of want this story to go away. Like when I saw that he was suing, I was like, I'd probably do that if it were me too. But man, mm. uh, I, I kind of wish they would all just kind of go away. Yeah, maybe, maybe the whole folk, maybe the whole reason for doing it is to make a point. Maybe yeah, they don't. So. Maybe they don't like. Uh, plan on winning at all anyway yep. but to kind of send a message i'd love to see someone just donate like a pizza party for everybody can we huh. all please just sit down and have a pizza party and and like talk this through that's i would love to see if you're listening and you got a bunch of extra money <laughs> let's make that happen let's get a sit down pizza party for us to like kind of put this thing behind us yeah uh, i do think when you and i talked about covington in the last couple of weeks i thought the best point for me out of it was especially as followers of jesus we need to really value the truth yeah, and right. Not our biases, but we really need to value the truth. Well, uh, that story's probably going to keep going, yeah. but we'll get there. Yeah, I hope so. Guess what we have now? <laughs> is it another caller? We do. <laughs> we do. We got another call for Ian. So it, before we listen to this one, if you want to call and wish Ian a happy birthday, 312-660-2594. Let's, Ian does not know who this is, so why don't you go ahead? Hi, this is Carrie Holland Owner calling. Hi, Carrie. How are you? <laughs> you sounded very desperate for calls. For you. I am. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I'm telling him. If you could see the smile on his face right now, this man has no shame. He's gonna he's gonna say that number forty more times before today is done. 
because I know deep Happy down. Birthday, Ian. Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for calling. We're, we were very excited to line up these phone calls. So <laughs> thank you for calling. Well, this is fun. See, I'm not desperate for calls for me. I'm desperate for calls for you. I mean, the key word still is desperate, though. You're desperate regardless of the motive. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's fair. Maybe. What are, uh, what are the birthday plans tonight? Oh, the birthday plans probably will go right to sleep. I, th- <laughs> I will drive home. You did tell me that you slept from, you went to bed at three o'clock last night because of your kids or because of meetings. I mean, we or don't need to of- tell everybody listening it's that. Crazy, That's- <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, it is crazy. So uh, again, uh, this is The Common Good and you can find us at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, that is The Common Good radio show. And I was just, you know, we're taking calls in the midst of these, but I was thinking of this Covington story again. Uh, Before we close it out, how would you pastorally tell people to treat the truth? Like as followers of Jesus, how do we take these news stories? How do we filter them and handle them correctly in your opinion? Gosh, I don't know that I can answer that in 60 seconds or less. I think it's just important to recognize everyone has a bias. Yeah. Um, and that we need to be a people who diligently go after the truth, even if it means that at times we find out we are the ones that are in the wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, go after the truth, unless it makes you uncomfortable or unless yeah. it, you know, it shows your own bias or yeah. your own particular bent. Um, but to, at all costs, uh, and you know, I've been saying this the last couple of days, like we need to stand with the people who are victimized and marginalized, right. and I think that's the safety of the vulnerable is always more important than the reputation of the powerful, and that mm-hmm. is uh, – uh, an easy thing to say into a microphone and a difficult thing to actually live out, but to follow the truth wherever it leads, um, I think is a really, really important reminder. I do appreciate that. Uh, That's that that message that you bring back over and over again. And I would say this too, in the internet age that we live and in the cable news world that we live in and in the polarization that we live in, don't always believe the first story you see. Yeah. Like give it time and you don't need to be first. Like I remember after seeing the Covington story, I remember I went out and I think we were with my parents that night, and I was told to my dad, I said, did you see that Covington story? He's like, no. I said, it's bad. Like, these kids are bad. It's mm. everything bad about kids. Mm. And I, so I jumped right to right, right. I just think, especially as people who claim to, to follow the Lord of truth, that we need to, we need to take truth uh, really seriously. Yep, totally agree. Coming up next, we are going to have a guest. We're going to talk to a guy by the name of David Hunter. Uh, David Hunter uh, produces, and he works for The Green Room Production. So we're excited to talk to David Hunter. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Please it, don't say it. It's Ian's birthday today. Gosh, so if you it. want to call and wish Ian a happy birthday, <laughs> and uh, we would love. We've had some great calls so far. My dad sang Marilyn Monroe. That was a real win. Like that Seriously, is the best thing we've done in five <laughs> weeks. <laughs> it, is, it is like the, the best of show when we can't be here someday. It's just going to go on a loop. <laughs> it's going to go on a loop. He's, he'll be so proud. So one of the things, Ian, you know, both of us are pastors. We talk about that often, and that's one of the things about this show is kind of two pastors who are working um, in the ministry, kind of talking about ministry and different pastoral things. And one of the things you and I have said from the beginning is we want to bring in other pastors. Yeah. And we want to um, interact, not just you and I, but bring in other pastors who are doing cool things and allow them to just kind of sit in and we'll talk. And so... 
Uh, that's what we've done today. Yes, sir. And so uh, he's your friend. Why don't you introduce him? I'm going to read his bio with no inflection whatsoever. Go I'm going to make it. this sound as unfriendly as possible, just like a, <laughs> like a robot is introducing my friend Jim. Here we go. <clears throat> uh, Reverend Jim Holland owner was born and bred in that. No, I'm yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Born and bred in the south suburbs of Chicago, he currently resides as the lead pastor of Munster Church, part of the Christian Reformed denomination. He definitely married up, I would agree to that, uh, to his high school sweetheart, Carrie, who called in earlier. (laughs) Wish you a happy birthday. She did, yes. They have three amazingly chaotic, beautiful, exhausting sons, Joey, Teddy, and Jack. Jim is a south sider through and through, and Jim and his family uh, has always had a strong call to parish pastoring in Chicagoland area, and the Lord broadened that to include now Northwest Indiana. There's a beautiful tension in the Chicago NWI area when it comes to Christ, church, and culture, and Jim is trying every day to help bridge uh, that with the gospel, both in Matthew 25 and Matthew 28, understanding. You can learn more at munster.church, as well as Facebook at Munster Church. And uh, Jim and I also went to undergrad together. Jim, I'm so glad that you are here in the studio. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys so much. This This is is so exciting to be here. I don't know who wrote that. Ooh, that was, <laughs> that was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Is it I true? We, like, do I need I to make any corrections? We had a raffle. Um, <laughs> no, I think most of it was correct. That's yeah, good. most of it's correct. We'll I definitely most. married up, and Amen. being my first uh, time on this media, yeah, this being oh, in a is? studio, yes, you know, good. outside of maybe just like in my basement pretending that I was doing radio. <laughs> My wife had to trump and get on here first. She called. She did. (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you here, man. And um, he did bring donuts. So that was also, we put you on the air if you bring donuts. That's the way this works, apparently. (laughs) Set the bar really high, yeah. For your birthday. Uh, Later on, uh, you're going to be here all hour with us. So later on, we're going to talk more about your ministry uh, and your church. But we thought it would be fun to get a third voice here. One thing Ian and I like to do is just tackle... Various topics of the day, whether it be, uh, you know, big political conversation or just stuff within the church. Uh, And with that said, guys, I came across an article that's been going around for a couple months now, and that's of Joshua Harris. You guys know Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris wrote the definitive dating book, at least from when I was in high school. I don't know about you guys, uh, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And it's not uh, a stretch to say that Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye uh, formed the culture, the high school culture, for an entire generation, even though he totally was pretty agree. young at that time. Yep. Uh, and so, A, I'd love to hear if you got, like, your interaction with that book as you were growing up, because it really, basically, the premise of the book was don't date. Right. It was don't date. Um, well, let's start there. What was your interaction growing up with that book? Is it one that you read? Was it something that you bought into? What was that? What role right. did it play for well, you? Well, that, that premise of not dating was easy for me to live up to because <laughs> no one wanted to date me. You could at least say it was because of so the So I was book. like, cool. Is there a book about that? <laughs> Outstanding. I'm, I'm with that guy. I hate, no, honestly, I, I, was not a good, <laughs> I was not a good Christian. Like I went to youth group and I was like familiar with these titles, but yep. like I don't. I remember certain, particularly our pastor's kids, talking about it a lot, but uh, I never really interacted with it much. It wasn't really until I moved out here to study at uh, Jetson University that I like learned a little bit about the subculture yeah. and some of the stuff that um, had come as a result. I, I have a guess, though, that Jim's story is a little bit different there. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, culturally, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, you know, being kind of a suburban mutt, if you will, right, been right. In, like four or five different suburbs, different churches. It was kind of like, I kissed dating goodbye, 
until I wanted to date. <laughs> and it was, you know, it, it was almost like I'm yes. going to use this like, oh, it didn't work out with her. So I am all in Joshua Harris, <laughs> like WWJHD, right? What would Joshua Harris do? And, uh, you know, but then That's all of a funny. sudden, then another girl like, so it's like, well, you know, the Lord brought me to that season for two weeks yes. and now right. I'm going to date again. That's right. And it was interesting. I think the culture there was because what, again, I don't, I was not in Joshua Harris's mind when he wrote it, you know, by any means, but it was that understanding of dating church, you know, where do you go with that? Yeah, and I right. think he's trying to put fences around a very, very wild, like a tent around a very wild circus. Yeah, if I can right. totally switch metaphors. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I think that's why we're seeing some backlash on it now. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah. and I think, you know, Brian, you're going to bring in that, that article a little bit more. What's interesting now is that Joshua Harris has distanced himself from his own book. Right. So if you remember, Joshua Harris wrote the book, the definitive book for this gen- that generation on dating. He was 20 years old. And I think he said he had never dated anybody, which is interesting. I'm so glad nothing I was thinking at 20 years old is written down, by the and way. And I think that's what I want to get at. So I think me- I still say that in my 30s. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. So he says this. Uh, He wrote, I no longer agree with its central idea that dating should be avoided. I now think dating can be a healthy part of a person developing relationally and learning the qualities that matter most. In light of the flaws I now see in the book, I think it's best to discontinue its publication as well as other supplemental resources tied to it. My publisher, whose encouragement in this process has been deeply meaningful to me, supports this decision, and I will not reprint the book after the current copies in their inventory are sold. And I got to be honest. When I read this, it made me really angry. No kidding. It did. Okay. I didn't take it as like, oh, well, good. He kind of grew in this and that. I said, well, well, then why'd you write it when you were 20? And uh, like, it became, I, I think I'm mad the way it molded my generation. I'm glad I didn't necessarily buy into this, but. Yep. It, and it made me think how many other people have spoken and written things that molded people. And then they say, oh, wait, no, never mind. So there's one hand, I do respect the fact that he's like, hey, I don't agree with this anymore. My my mind on this has evolved, but there's part of me that's like, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I, and I got to be honest too. There's a, l- a small part of me is a little suspicious too. Like like after all of this, there's going to be a documentary that comes out or another book. Like part of him uh, coming out against this. You are, is I'm that not, part of it? I am not joking. The documentary has already come out. Oh boy, no, the documentary's already come out. Is not. it WWJDA <laughs> or JHD? No, it is not. But he it's catchy. It's real catchy. He, he already did. So I don't know if you want to take the Joshua Harris thing or just in general. What do we learn from this? That that somebody who wrote like I mean, this, we can't overstate how big this book was. Yeah, and then just says, "Oh wait, no, never mind, never mind. I don't believe that anymore." And I think it comes in a culture, especially around dating, that is so subjective. Yeah, you right. put you you line ten pastors up, and there's oh, eleven different ideologies because you always have that one they want to give to, and yeah. so you mm-hmm. have all these different ideologies and maybe even theologies of dating. And to come back and you know, Brian, I think I, I second some of your more anger, emotions, frustration yeah. that, you know, why, you know, why, like, <laughs> yeah. like, why did you, why now go back on right. it? Is it maybe like you could go into one aspect of your book, kind of blow it up a little bit mm. for maybe those parts of hurt and maybe the documentary, you know, is going to touch on that. But, you know, I really think for the, the dating thing, I, I go back to my dad, mm. you know, so phenomenal man he was the best man at my wedding you know he always told me only date potential mates Mm. and i kind of wish that he would have talked to joshua harris before he wrote the book (laughs) because it could have been a really short book like that really cuts down like asking if you're a guy obviously from a guy's perspective 
why am I dating this person? Sure. Can I see myself marrying them? That's still, I think, a good premise. Yeah. That's still a premise yeah. in, you know, 13 years of the pastorate. I still try to, you know, when I have students come and talk to me about it, or even adults. Yep. If you don't see yourself marrying them, what are you doing? Yeah, and uh, honestly, this may be a really unpopular opinion. I think I've alluded to this, but I think it does. Uh, things like this work do create uh, almost idolatry around virginity. And I've, I've told college students, virginity is not the goal. And, it, and everyone guess. I'm like, holiness is, Christ-likeness is. Yeah. And we create this this stigma. And and again, I, I don't know why um, I'm, I'm being sympathetic towards 20-year-old Joshua Harris because yeah. I did so many stupid things at 20 and maybe I'd feel better if I found out like the proceeds from the documentary are going towards helping people like unravel and recover yeah. from some of like the toxic sentimentalities that were created as a result of his work. That that would make me uh, that would lower my blood pressure a little yeah. bit. But I I do wonder though at times like maybe maybe we've moved on from this. But like I always want to ask in the present day. Okay, so what's what is the modern version of this book now? Yes. That twenty years from now, we'll look back and say, "Oh man, we we let the pendulum swing way too far the other yeah. way." What's the wisdom in the here and now that we need to be mindful of, particularly when it comes to this topic? We are going to call that a segue. Let's carry that over into the next segment. So, coming up next, we're going to continue this conversation, spinning it forward from Joshua Harris into just how do we read authors? How do we uh, just kind of mo- go through this minefield a little bit? Well, uh, I'm Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins. Our friend here, Jim Holland donor. Did I get it right? You did. I got it right. He's well joining done. us. This is fun. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, alongside Ian Simpkins again. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with us, you could do so at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. You can go online to 1160hope.com, and there you can find old shows. And also uh, continue the conversation at Facebook. That is The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio radio show. Well, Ian, we are being joined again for the whole hour by Jim Hollandoner, good friend of yours. You're saying we, we're being joined by like he's, uh, like he's an infestation. He almost. Like he's, he is. <laughs> yes, he's here. We're glad to it have... It only took 10 minutes for that to get out. Huh? Yeah, there I'm Oh, well. Uh, Jim is the lead pastor of Munster Church and uh, excited to have Jim with us today. Guys, before the break, we were talking about Joshua Harris, and uh, basically he wrote the definitive book of the 90s and the early 2000s on dating at the age of 20, and basically said, don't date. 
that high school kids, college kids, they should court but not date. And now uh, he's left the pastorate. He's now in school. And he said since going to grad school, it's kind of caused him to rethink all of this. And he's basically asked that his book be discontinued. And before the break, we wrestled with that a little bit and kind of said, you know, like that makes us uncomfortable or it made me uncomfortable to say, man, so many people bought into the premise and now you're just kind of calling a mulligan and saying no. And so, uh, Ian, before we went to commercial, you were kind of expounding upon like, what do we learn for the next person or who is the next person? So why don't you keep giving us your thoughts on that? Well, let me just first say too, like this comes out of a place of uh, horror when listening or reading old sermons that I myself have given. Absolutely. Like that's the starting point for me. I just stumbled across an old hard drive that had sermons from when I was like 19 or 20 and I was like, I need to go heat this to a liquid and bury it in the ground so nobody <laughs> ever has to hear this. Not just because I was like cringing at the mechanics of preaching, but like legitimately feeling like, oh, I don't know that I believe most of that anymore. It was actually really humbling because 15, 16, 17 years ago doesn't feel that long ago. And um, the twists and turns of my own faith, my own study, my own research, and to be honest, even just friends like the two of you coming alongside and speaking life and truth and correction, like... I think that should be an ongoing journey. So I want to be careful to give grace to preachers, to authors, to say, hey, part of a living, breathing faith is that I think we will sometimes change our mind. I don't want to create a a vacuum where, hey, if you wrote it, it's that till you die. Like that is that I don't think that's healthy. On the other hand, something particularly as volatile as um, speaking to sexuality issues, uh, dating issues, youth, as we know, you know, we all were youth pastors at one point. And um, I think that requires a certain level of, of uh, finesse and caution when flinging that stuff out into the Internet or writing a blog post or publishing a book. And um, I don't know. I don't think I'm I'm qualified to speak to the voices right now that maybe are leading the charge in ways that I would say are totally uh, disruptive or toxic. But it's something that I I want to be mindful of because it's easy to rag on this guy. Yep with the perspective of history to say, wow, that was really jacked up, man. You shouldn't have said that. But I also know I'm probably reading stuff right now that 15 years from now, I'll look back and say, why were you reading that? That was, that's not good. That's not edifying. And I don't, I don't know what that's like for you guys, like in the, in the trenches ministry where you don't want to stop learning and growing, but you also want to be mindful about what you're, what you're taking in. I don't, Jim, do you have like rhythms about how you approach what you are or aren't engaging with in terms of content and media and all that? Yeah, I think it's important. Obviously, we use this term relevance as pastors, right? We yeah. want to be relevant. And and I kind of, as much as I agree in the frustration of, you know, the kind of the my bad mentality that Joshua Harris has, like I shouldn't have written it. Hmm. I also don't think we can throw the baby out with the bathwater yes. and say there are some good things to take away from that book as okay. far as, you know, sexuality development, mm-hmm. you know, physical development, growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all of our times in youth ministry – Telling kids to be wise in their dating, to be yeah. to, to to hold their body as sacred, yep. and to all of those things, that was not bad. No, and why do we know that wasn't bad? Because it's biblical. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so there are some aspects of this. I don't want just to all of a sudden because he's rethinking it, we put a mute button on this whole conversation. Sure, correct. Because I think that brings a lot more danger to it. Hmm. That you know that understanding as we were going to the break, my you know my father's encouragement to me of only dating potential mates, though it's quippy and poetic and fun and short and easy to remember, <laughs> it's so powerful. Yeah. I think if we look back on all of our dating adventures, at least mine was an adventure for a while, which, mm. you know, sometimes you didn't want to look. Like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I, understanding when my dad finally said that to me, 
that was transforming. Mm. And so pastorally, it's not so much to be relevant because I think we would all agree when it comes to sexuality, the last, I don't know, five weeks mm. have been nothing but really reactionary. Mm. And that's probably never the best place to mm. start in a biblical pastoral understanding of sexualities. Let's just do everything reaction. No, let's be proactive. Yeah, that's good. I think Joshua wanted that. I do too. I think that was the heart of what he was trying to do. Yep. So to say now, like, my bad, no, 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 like, it wasn't all bad. Right. But it's good. I Spinning this forward, we're pastors. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, let's put it this way. What is your pastoral advice to somebody about how to read, to read critically and to read, you know, like you said, people read I Kissed Dating Goodbye and said, this is gospel. Yeah. So I'm going to put it in my life. Uh, there's any number of books. You talked about our sermons. Matt Chandler, who I love to listen to purposely has not put his first three years worth of preaching onto their website because he says for your exact reasons, (laughs) I was angry back then. Uh I preached angry. I don't like the messages I was giving and so he keeps them off. How do you guys, if somebody were to come to you and be like, all right, help me navigate this field well, Totally. what are are some things we could give to people to hang on to? I would probably say a couple of things. One, reading in the context of community is absolutely critical. People will see, it's why we have side view mirrors, right? There's things Mm -hmm. that, blind spots that we won't be able to see based on, I mean, and that could either be something that's written or something that we're projecting into what's written. Uh, That's all very messy, as we know, as preachers. Sometimes people will hear things that we didn't actually say. The same is true with uh, works of literature. I think the other thing that's important, though, is that we read from various different streams. Like we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Um, I I think we need to do a better job in general of reading men and women, black and white, Mm. west and east. Like there's just... A lot that I think we we often um, shield ourselves from without knowing when we only listen from, you know, we only read from one publisher when we listen to one stream. I think it's really important um, in the context of community to surround ourselves with people who are smart, but also will push back and also offer perspective that's maybe different than our own. I think that's how we grow and we continue to learn how to think critically about this stuff. Yeah, I would say a lot of it also culturally speaking, you know, do I as a pastor, am I looking Uh, Am I looking at culture and then trying to find a Bible verse to come alongside of it? (laughs) Or am I trying to look through the Bible and to see the culture there? I had a seminary professor, David Fitch, at Northern Seminary. Mm. Uh, Shameless plug. uh, (laughs) Both Dave and for Northern. But he would always say the tail doesn't wag the dog. And if the the dog is the Bible and is Christ and the gospel, Mm. you know, and the tail is culture, you know, I have a I have a 10 year old Dalmatian and, you know. He wags the dog, you know, he wags his own tail, right? right? And so that that understanding of if we're not seeping it through the gospel first, yeah, and that's where I think, like, things like sexuality, things like relationships, mm. you know, yeah, did Jesus ever talk about dating specifically? Mm. Not mm-hmm. culturally, no, right. you know, but if we're looking at that, he's saying you're, you know, be wise, be good stewards of your body, be right. good stewards of your emotions and your relationships. Good. Um, that. You have to start there. Yeah. To start on the back end and come forward. Totally. You know, that's probably not the best. That's well said. I'm glad you brought Jim in today. Yeah, me too. I told you he was good. This is good. Coming up next, we're going to get to know Jim a little bit more. We're going to talk about his ministry, what's going on in Northwest Indiana. Uh, Ian, before we do, we have another phone call for you. It's Ian's birthday. (laughs) It's Ian's birthday. We were reminded he has a big family, so we're going to talk some of his family. Oh, man. Uh, So go ahead, Josh. Put that up for Ian. (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, yeah. 
How do phone calls work? I have no idea. Keep talking. It's, it's pretty new technology. We'll give you some grace there. That's great. Uh, can somebody be an operator patch me through? Because, uh, our, our grandmother used to do that for Bell South. That's and funny. she got free landline for life, which is not as valuable as you think anymore. <laughs> this is your next oldest brother, isn't this it? Is it? This, yep, is, this, this is, is it. This is Dr. Zachary Simpkins of Foundation Chiropractic in Michigan. Uh, that's great. If anyone... If anyone feels like making a five-hour commute, <laughs> come on down. He's worth it. I'm telling you, he's worth it. It's, I'm not worth it. That's just the honest. Oh, that's funny. That's it's funny. above average. Uh, happy birthday, young man. Hey, thanks, brother. I love you, man. I love you too, man. This is uh, nice. we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk about Emerson later, but going back to it. <laughs> I'm going to weigh in on what you guys said, but cut me off whenever you feel like it because you got a job to do and I'm just driving home from work. Uh, what you were saying about the, uh, the reading from different perspectives and different lenses and things like that. Emerson's got that quote. Uh, I believe it went by Raphael, maybe Ralph, not sure. Uh, but he, uh, I, I am uh, just like every meal I've eaten. I don't remember every, uh, every word I've ever uh, I've ever spoken, ever read, but those are the things that made me. Oh yeah, uh, I think it's it's important to like consume a variety of sources. If, you, if you're if you're only having fruit, if you're only having vegetables, if you're only having meat, then you get a, a singular perspective, and it's important to read uh, perspectives from other people, even if it doesn't sit well with you at the time. It does have utility to it. Man, oh, hey, if this good. if this whole chiropractic thing doesn't pan out for you, I think uh, you got to roll it as a Honestly, pastor. That's there you go. It's working out well right now. I, who knows? <laughs> there you go. Five year, Universal Healthcare will ruin me. <laughs> that's a whole other segment. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. A whole oh. other segment. Well, that's fun, man. We're getting calls from all over for you. People love you. <laughs> that's good. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 